Let's stand together. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 11 tonight. The message I call Soul Rest. Soul Rest. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. Soul rest. Two promises are easily seen in this passage. Jesus said, I will give you rest. And then he said, you shall find rest. I will give you rest, and you shall find rest. These two promises speak to our hearts today because we are arguably some of the most restless people (laughs) that have ever lived in the history of humanity. You know, you'd think with all of our time-saving devices, some of y'all remember when we used to build everything. Man, the time-saving devices, all of our labor-saving devices. How would you have liked to have had to cut enough firewood to do you for a winter with a cross-cut saw and an axe? You know, I mean, uh, all those labor-saving devices, and we hadn't even talked about a combine or a cotton picker. or Labor-saving devices, you'd think we'd have rest pretty well down. Almost half of Americans suffer from occasional insomnia. Insomnia affects women more often than men. And it increases as we get older. No big surprises there. Uh, We all know those things are true. I was surprised to see that, and it may have gone up by now, it's probably a whole lot more because uh, the article that I read this week I noticed was a couple of years old. Notice that Americans spend more than $14 billion a year on medical treatments to help them sleep. $14 billion, billion dollars a year. In addition to that cost, that out-of-pocket expense, it is said that businesses lose more than twice that much due to lost productivity on the job because People don't have enough rest and they have trouble staying awake and staying alert. The problem, of course, goes beyond the body to the brain. That's where it becomes increasingly difficult for the brain to shut down after hectic hours at work, coupled with a hectic drive home, and oftentimes coming home then to a whole lot of hectic stuff going on at home. I mean, it's just all around us and the brain can't stop. We lay down and what was intended by God then to be restful sleep turns into a whirlwind of that frustrating half sleep. You know, you're asleep because the clock has moved over. It's an hour, two hours, three hours later, but all that time you felt like you were wide awake and your mind just going over and over saying, man, I can't get to sleep. Oh, I've been there. It leaves us crawling out of bed in the morning, both physically and mentally exhausted. 
only to get up and go and do it all over again. I, I'm, I'm not going to belabor the point. I'd have you all depressed on top of being tired the time I was done. Uh, I just want you to know if you're suffering from this, you're not alone. And if Jesus were talking about physical rest and sleep in our text, we could put Salmonex, Ambien, Luminex, and even Tylenol PM out of business. It'd be a great invitation in America today. Christians sleep better. Studies show it. Prayer before bedtime reduces deep or produces deep and restful sleep without pills. Or I especially like this one. Uh, get right with Jesus and get rid of your CPAP. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not going to work. That's not what Jesus is talking about anyway. He's not talking about physical sleep or physical rest. I will say this. It's entirely possible that our physical and mental lack of rest is due to, at least in part, to the problem Jesus addresses. A restless soul. A restless soul. Jesus promised Rest not for our brains, not for our bodies, but for our souls. You shall find rest under your souls. Spiritual rest. People all over this country are living with the storm brewing in their souls. And that inner restlessness then creates the worst kind of anxiety at all. It is the kind that affects the Spirit. The book of Revelation gives us a picture of torment that we might often overlook if we're not careful. Uh, the Bible talks about those demonic spirits that were chained in the abyss that are going to be unleashed, these spiritual beings. Demons, you know, are spiritual beings. And these have been chained up. They've been reserved in those everlasting chains of darkness. But there's going to come an angel with a key to the bottomless pit. And they're going to be unleashed on the planet. The reason why it's so scary is because those are spiritual beings. And they're going to be able to torment people spiritually. Spiritually. Now, we know we're a threefold being and we have a, a mind and a body and the spirit or soul. We know that. And we really may not understand all there is to know about having a troubled soul. But it's obviously possible to have a restless soul because Jesus said it. I will, you'll, you'll find rest, rest for your soul. And when we're suffering from that inner turmoil because our spirits are restless, it produces an inner restlessness that we don't really have a cure for apart from the work of Jesus Christ. You're not going to take a pill for it. But I think that's what a lot of people in America tonight are looking for, what they're searching for. There's an inner restlessness about them. Poorly defined. There's an anxiety about them that nothing seems to be able to take away. And if we go looking for all the th solutions in that the world offers, a lot of times all they do is add to our anxiety. They add to that restlessness. 
And it makes sense to us if we think about it because the Bible says in Isaiah 57 and 20 that the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. What a picture that is. His water cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. If you've ever been to uh, the ocean coast, anywhere, but especially I've seen it in the Gulf Coast. When the waves begin to pound against the shore, and it's not but just a matter of hours at best, to where it is just boiling up all kinds of dirt, and you see that. This is a picture that God gives in Isaiah 57. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. You've perhaps often heard it said that there's no rest for the wicked. Well, it's absolutely biblical. So why in the world would we think, considering that God says this, why would we, especially as God's people, think that there's going to be any peace or any comfort in wickedness? There's not. There's no rest for the wicked. And so tonight we're going to look at these two kinds of soul rest that Jesus promises. And of course, the first one. He said, is the kind that he gives, the kind of rest that Jesus gives, the soul rest of salvation. Come unto me. That's the point. Come unto me. Aren't you glad that tonight we still serve the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who looks out over this troubled world and says, come unto me. Come unto me. The same Jesus also said to the Pharisees on one occasion, and you would not come unto me that you might have life. Oh, they could have. He didn't say they couldn't come. He said they would not come. There was Jesus offering them exactly what they were searching for, but they wouldn't have it. Come unto me, Jesus said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this speaks directly to the labor of sin. And all that it does. Now we might think that Jesus then was talking to the really uh, bad street crowd. But I'd like to remind you tonight that that really bad street crowd was the ones that Jesus went to the most. They loved Jesus. He loved them back. He said, I am come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They that are whole need not a physician, but those that are sick, Jesus, Jesus Went to the wicked crowd. And the wicked crowd flocked to him. One of my favorite stories was a story when he went to that Pharisee's house. And, and that woman came and began to wash his feet with her tears. And, and there was that old self-righteous Pharisee up there with his nose all wrinkled up. You know that look. Oh, I've got to, oh well, if, if he was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman that is. And don't tell him where her hands have been. He wouldn't have her touching him. It's an evil, wicked. Hmm. You remember what Jesus said? Well, I came into your house and you didn't even hardly greet me. You didn't wash my feet. You showed me no courtesy. You showed me no respect. You talk about this woman being a sinner. And yet from the minute that she's come in here, she's done nothing but show love to me. Ah, what a great story. We might think then when we look at this passage that Jesus was talking about the, the street wicked crowd. But in fact, if you'll read it, he was talking to a religious crowd. 
I'll tell you what, the people who are laboring and heavy burdened <laughs> the most uh, is that group of people who are trying to satisfy all the demands of a religious system. These people, you see, were all wrapped up in the law, and it wasn't really the law's fault because their perversion of the law. That law was a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. That law was designed to show them their sinfulness so that they'd come to Jesus and be saved. Instead, they tried to turn it into this rigid system of rule after rule after rule after rule after rule. And Jesus saw them then laboring, laboring, trying to satisfy all the demands of their religious ideals. The most miserable people perhaps in this country tonight are those who are religious and trying to live it all out. And they think their salvation is up to them. But the apostles address this in Acts chapter 15 and verse 10. Now therefore why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. Oh. No wonder Jesus talked about the yoke. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Jesus then was speaking of the labor of the sinners and how hard people, even uh, most especially these religious people, were laboring, trying to live up to their religious ideals, trying to earn their way into righteousness before God. But it does not mean that there was not a load of sin on the other side as well. We often think of that woman that figured so prominently in the New Testament narrative, Mary Magdalene. Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Seven. Not one. Seven. You can't imagine the load of sin that she was carrying. The woman at the well. The man who also was possessed with a demon and had lived so horribly that tried even to chain him down and he'd break out of the chains. These were people who had very obvious pictures of the load of sin. But there were many others. And so just because we would look at, at one side, the religious side, who were trying to live up to their religious ideals and carrying a heavy, heavy burden... Folk, we don't mean to say that but by that tonight, that sin doesn't create a burden for people to bear. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus would focus on these particular religious people. In verse 3, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not you after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne. And lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. You know what that was? Sure you do. It's the burden of guilt. The burden of guilt. Now, one preacher called guilt God's barbed wire. 
And uh, I can't give you any biblical kind of sentiment or statement that would indicate that guilt is God's barbed wire. But South Arkansas, we call it bob wire. So I'm just going to go ahead and do away with that barbed wire stuff and just call it bob wire because that fits my tongue a whole lot better. I don't know what bob wire is all about. It's uh, about helping that animal instead of just getting up on the fence and riding it down. That bob wire would cut back. It'll also grab your pants when you're trying to go over the fence or go, and hit your shirt if you try to go through it. I, bob wire. It creates pain. It causes us to come back. It's a graphic illustration of what guilt does for us. And when guilt is right, when it's done right, then that's exactly what it does for us. Unfortunately, like everything else, our sense of guilt and shame has been affected by the fall. Which means that a lot of times the guilt hangs around long after the real guilt is gone. You understand what I mean? The real guilt, you see, comes when we sin, we've messed up, and we feel that guilt, and we pull away from that sin. We recognize that we need to get right with God. We call out to Him for forgiveness, and, and He forgives us. That's the real guilt. But then sometimes long after that real guilt is gone, and it's gone because we've taken our sin to Jesus Christ, and we've experienced His forgiveness. But then that other kind of guilt comes. And it lingers. And it creates then a heavy, heavy burden. A heavy burden. It's amazing all the things that people carry around as burdens. Those of you in the counseling business, you deal with that every day. But those of us in the pastor business, we deal with it a lot too. We see it constantly. And I can tell you tonight that it is not uncommon to deal with people who are my age and even older who have been struggling, carrying around a burden of guilt for decades. Decades. And they've asked for forgiveness. They're saved people. They've gone to God. They, and yet they still feel that burden, that heavy load, grievous to be born. When Jesus burst upon the scene, he had an incredible introduction, <laughs> you have to say. I think about that every now and then because as a, as a preacher, a pastor, I, visit, I go somewhere else and then they got to introduce me and, you know, people always, they got to figure, figure out something nice to say about you, you know, and that's, that's easier for some folks than it is. It's, it's, most of them can figure out something nice to say. It, it is struggled, kind of introduce somebody. When Jesus came on the scene, he had quite an introduction. From a man who was unrivaled. There was nobody else like him. Nobody like him before him, nobody after him. He was John, the, the Baptist John, John the Baptist. And what introduction did he give to Jesus Christ? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, what a story. What a story. Behold the Lamb of God. Let me introduce you to the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. He's still the Lamb of God tonight. He still takes away the sin. No wonder he could say then, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What is that rest? It is the rest of sins forgiven. And yes, if we come to Jesus, it can be the rest of burden removed. Burdens removed. So if there's a soul rest then of salvation, and there is, there's also the soul rest of submission. So that Jesus not only says, I will give you rest, but that you'll find rest, take my yoke upon you. That's why I talk about submission. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, there's a lot of discussion, a lot of ink has been spilled over the years by preachers who just like to argue, I guess, and I'm kind of one of them, so... uh, I can't say that that's altogether a bad thing, but a lot of, a lot of discussion over the years has been about what this yoke was, and, and believe it or not, uh, it, was, it was kind of an idea, because in Bible times they said they only had a single yoke, and they didn't have a double yoke, and uh, I don't know, I read uh, Elijah was plowing with the team, uh, I believe it was 12 yoke of oxen, I'm not sure, but I think they, yeah, they yoked up, uh, and I know in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, uh, they were forbidden uh, to yoke up two kinds of animals. He didn't put an oxen and a donkey in the same yoke because, of course, the oxen would have to do all the work and, and the donkey would want to eat all the food. I, I know how that is. That would, that's the way that would work. Uh, to me, this very obviously speaks of a double yoke, and if you see it another way, that's fine. I just uh, I can't see it that way. It's a double yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you. Be yoked up with Jesus. How many of you know tonight that if we are yoked up with Jesus, who is carrying all the load? Yeah, no wonder he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. What we do know they did in Bible times, and they've done it and probably still do it in areas of the world where they have yokes and plow with oxen and pull wagons and things with oxen. What we do know they do is they tend to yoke a younger, less experienced animal with an older, more experienced animal. That way the younger animal gets to kind of ease into it, but he is also learns the command and learns the language. There was an old preacher story told about an old mule skinner, they said. That guy that had a, had a team of mules and was out there, and, and he got saved. And after that, uh, somebody come and found him. There he was standing on the side of the road just kicking the dirt, and his team was standing over there. And they said, man, what's going on? He said, my mules don't understand a word I'm saying. He couldn't talk to them like he used to because now he was saved. All the commands that he had (laughs) before, you see, were 
They couldn't, I got saved. I can't tell them that anymore. I had to learn a whole new language. Well, you see, these animals would learn that language of the master that learned G and haw, as we like to say. They learned what it meant. But when we're yoking up with Jesus, uh, of course, we're submitting to him. We're submitting to the rule of the master. Uh, Jesus spent all of his life doing the will of the Father. I came to do the will of him that sent me. And so if we're yoked up with Jesus, we know that he's going to be leading us in the paths of righteousness. No wonder, he says, that when we find this rest, uh, it will be located in a specific place in him. Now, there's three aspects of this decision that we can see in this. And first of all, or, or, or this uh, path, well, the first one is a decision. And that speaks of our surrender to Jesus Christ. It means that we'll be a, a learner, a disciple, a follower. Uh, the word easy has to do with fitting. Fitting. Carries that idea of fitting. It is easy because it is well-fitted, tailor-made, if you will. It's a yoke made to fit you, and it's a yoke made to fit me. I remember buying a pair of shoes one time for a trip I was making, and it turned out they hurt my feet. I was routed through Atlanta. One preacher said he's not sure, but he thinks the rapture is going to be routed through Atlanta. But I can tell you one thing, it's a miserable thing to have to walk through that Atlanta airport from one end of the terminal to the other in a shoes that hurt your feet. The yoke of Jesus Christ is well fitted to us. It's made just for us. The yoke fits. Take my yoke upon you, it's easy, it fits. Not only then there is a decision that we submit to him, but then there's development. Learn, learn from me. Nobody could teach us about peace and rest better than Jesus could. Nobody. Jesus was meek. That didn't mean he was weak. It means his strength was under control. Jesus never got out of control. You say, what about when he got mad and wove that whip together and drove out the money changers and overturned their tables? Wasn't he out of control? No, he was not. Jesus Christ was moving very deliberately. That's what he always did. He was never out of control. Never. God's never out of control. Even when he's angry, if he's moving in anger, it is still very, very deliberate. When he says that he is lowly, it means that he has our interest in our heart. Jesus will not lead us to anything it's not good for us. And there's discovery. You shall find rest for your souls. You shall find rest. In following Jesus then, in serving Jesus, and learning from Jesus, and living with Jesus, and submitting to Jesus so that we are joining him in his yoke, we discover Rest for our souls. There's something sweet about knowing that our path is being directed by the Lord. And He has a plan for us and He's working that plan. That that burden that I used to try to carry, He's, he's moved it away. 
I don't have to carry that anymore. And though, yes, I'm yoked up, and yes, I have a job to do, and I have a task to fulfill, yet he's right there with me, and he is helping me. I'd say, well, the Christian life is hard. And I understand the point. But try living the sinful life for a while. See what it does. There's no rest for the wicked. Jesus said, though, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you'll find rest unto your soul. The old hymn writer said it best. And if you know this song, sing it with me. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take Him at His word Just to rest upon His promise Just to know, thus saith the Lord Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Let's stand together, please.